The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 31. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Star Trek Discovery Short Treks. Well, what's that? We'll talk about that in just a second. But first, joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? So uh, remember, folks, please like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook at the SQPN Facebook page. Retweet it on Twitter where it's at SQPN. Leave us comments. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or on YouTube where you should hit the bell to make sure you get notifications of new episodes as they post. And above all, share the podcast with your friends. As the new season of Star Trek Discovery is beginning, people are going to be interested in talking about it and hearing people talk about it. Please let them know that here's a a resource for them uh, where we'll be talking about each episode as it airs throughout this season. And uh, we'll have our distinct perspective on it, Uh, maybe a perspective that you won't hear other places. And it should be interesting because the writers said uh, that this season on Discovery, they're going to be exploring issues of faith and science. And so that's right up our alley. Exactly. Exactly. So so plenty of people would be interested in that. So let's uh, so you should definitely uh, share that with them. Uh, Also, a little uh, network uh, note on SQPN, there is a new podcast you might be interested in called The Secrets of Technology at sqpn.com slash technology. It's a about 30 minutes a week. We talk about the latest tech news, but from a perspective you might not hear in other places. Uh, so we think it's unique and, and uh, we've gotten some great feedback so far. Uh, we had one listener say that uh, they were about 10 minutes in and it's their favorite podcast ever already. So, uh, so if you, if you, you might go downhill from there, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. So uh, check it out at sqpn.com slash technology. So we want to start with a little bit of Star Trek news and talk about it a bit. Uh, Apparently Star Trek four, the movie uh, from the Kelvin reboot timeline has been canceled. Um, The director, we've heard this because the director of the movie who'd been previously announced is going to be directing a new Game of Thrones prequel series. And in the press release for that, it said she became available when Star Trek Four was shelved. So we don't have official information from Paramount Pictures, uh, but this seems to be... Yeah, a- and typically they don't announce we're not doing this. They'll just say it's been put aside or shelved or something like that. Uh, right. I can't, can't say that exactly hurts my feelings any. I, I, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, the, the the Kelvin reboot was controversial, to say the least. Especially fans. with fans. Yes, yeah. especially yep. with fans. Now, there's a complex a bit of uh, um, financial, political, uh, political within the entertainment industry, uh, corporate politics 
re- you know things behind why it was canceled. It wasn't purely because the fans didn't like it. There, there's a lot of stuff, and in fact, we'll link to a uh, a short YouTube video which kind of goes through this in some detail, which is it's a really excellent video. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's from the channel Midnight's Edge, which yes. covers Star Trek and kind of the background financing issues mm-hmm. that are involved. And it's actually quite good analysis. Yes. So uh, basically, Star Trek Three Beyond, uh, Star Trek Beyond, cost a crazy amount of money, m- much more than the official figures uh, when you really dig into it, uh, and didn't make it back. There was all kinds of um, corporate politics having to do with Paramount Pictures and its funding mm-hmm. and its failures in other vi- movies. Um, they wanted to cut uh, Chris Pine's salary for the upcoming Chris movie, Hemsworth. and Chris Hemsworth, who was coming back. Now, why people thinking? Chris Hemsworth. Why is Thor in this Thor? movie? Yeah. yeah, Chris Hemsworth. If you if, if you don't remember all the way back to Star Trek the 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 reboot, start the 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 original uh, Kelvin reboot. He was um, George. I almost said Takei. George Kirk. Kirk. Uh, very brief role at the very beginning. A very bit part. He was an unknown actor at the time. I mean, very little known. Mm-hmm. Um, played Kirk's dad, and they were going to have him come back in some sort of timeline sort of thing. Because um, why not? Uh, they had previously agreed to be in Star Trek Four. Then, when all these things changed, we, again, watch the video to get all the all the gory details. Uh, they had been. They were asked to to reduce their salary. Now, some of the reporting on this has made it seem like, well, they just got greedy and that's why that they wanted to pay raise, no. but it they turns out actually being asked to take a, a big pay cut. Yes. Like half or something similar to that. I mean, right. it was a major chunk. Exactly. And some of the, and it turns out that some of the other actors, like maybe Zach Quinto and others uh, walked away as well, rather than take a pay cut. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, what does this mean for Star Trek movies? Uh, you know, so apart from the finances and all that sort of uh, silliness, right. what is what do you think this means for Star Trek as a movie? Uh, one of the things that they said is, is that CBS owns Star Trek and licenses the movies to Paramount. But because of the, yes. they used to be under the same parent company that split CBS took Star Trek, but licensed it to Paramount. But if this, if Paramount doesn't make a movie within a time period, which I'm not sure exactly what it is within a few years, um, they forfeit their license. So what do you it, think this it, means for Star Trek on the big screen? Well, it's actually come. The deadline is coming up fairly quickly. They need to get something in production. What that something may be, may be the uh, reported Quentin Tarantino Star Trek mm-hmm. film. Oh, joy. Right. <laughs> that, that has me a little worried, but yes. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I, supposedly Quentin Tarantino is, is a huge Star Trek fan and has been for most of his life. So, I mean, we saw how the Orville turned out. <laughs> right. No, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, I guess that I was kind of thinking about this. I, I don't know. Maybe the idea of the Star Trek movies has passed again for a while. Maybe it's just, mm-hmm. you know, the movies, the, the original yeah. movie save star trek brought star trek back right you know, brought us what we have today for star trek and that's awesome but maybe we've kind of that point right now where maybe just star trek movies need to go sit on a shelf for a while and wow. let's have all the series they're doing now we've got more series coming out let's just kind of let it sit for a while to, to quote mr spock star trek's first best destiny is to be on television it really is designed as a television show not something where you get a couple hours every two to three years I have to, I have to agree. Like, so, I mean, most of the Star Trek movies have been, they're fun. I mean, I I I, I don't mm-hmm. want to dump, but they always left me wanting more or left me in some way dissatisfied because right. 
they've adapted what should be the long the 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 TV format into a movie format, and and I don't know that it worked for me for Star Trek. It's kind of funny because with Star Wars, I think should be movies primarily mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. that's what it always was. But I think Star Trek should be series, TV series, and and, and I it kinda, should be longer series. You know, that's that's yes. one of the problems with Discovery is it's it's only a ten episode season or and, thirteen. I can't remember which is thirteen. But, yeah, 13. and and we're unlikely to to get anything different from future series. Unfortunately, that's just the nature of in the short term. The nature of TV series right now is their short run uh, seasons. Um, what some of the series that we can look forward to? We've got that Picard one that we've talked we've talked about before, uh, where Patrick Stewart is coming back to play Pat, uh, Captain Picard decades later. You know, it's in in the timeline. Um, mm-hmm. And apparently, apparently, there's a little bit of news about that. I don't know if y'all have heard, but um, uh, it was said uh, in a recent interview that the collapse of the Romulan Empire will have have had a big yes. effect on Picard's life. And so I kind of suspect he may be like serving as some kind of ambassador or diplomat or Replacing something Spock. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because Spock will have died because of, uh, sadly, Leonard Nimoy's death. Um, well, he also went off into that other timeline, into the Kelvin timeline. That's true. That's yep. true. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I blocked that out somehow. Um, there's a, a, another series called Lower Decks, which is supposed to be kind of a, a funny take on Star Trek, which isn't that the Orville? But uh, well, OK, never mind. And then uh, well, I think they looked at the Orville and went, oh, this is actually successful. We need to do this. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling there's a little bit of that. And then uh, there's another uh, series that's been talked about. It's not uh, not committed to yet, but they've talked about it. A uh, Series that focuses on uh, Emperor Giorgio, so the mirror universe, Philippa Giorgio, mm. played by Michelle Yeoh, in Section 31. Yeah. Which that I'd watch that. That could be I, interesting. I, yeah. I've always thought there was some more that you could do with Section 31 that could be very interesting. Yeah. Well, they've also they've also announced, uh, we we're going to be talking about Short Treks, the four that came out. Yep. They're obviously talking about two more coming out after the season. So about the time, about hmm. Easter time that are going to be animated as well. So two more animated short treks. Oh, interesting. Coming That's, out at Easter. I heard that one. That's a new one. I mean, yeah, yeah it one just came out recently. That news. Huh? So, uh, so, we, so it, do we think is the Kelvin timeline dead? And, and I, Father Corey, I, I know that you <laughs> have already six rest. You're ha- you would be happy to see it die. Uh, I I would, you know, and and it's it, nothing against the movies. They were good action movies, in my opinion, but they weren't Star Trek. Right. The first one, the first yeah. one, the first one was, I, I will say that, you know, for a Star Trek movie ish, it got worse. Yes. And then, of course, when they blew up the Enterprise in the third movie, it's like, uh, really? again, <laughs> again, that that well's been tapped too many times. So, it, yes, it, I hope I'm, it's gone. I'm sorry. It's the rule. You have to have. Uh, you have to have Khan in the second movie. You have to blow up the Enterprise in the third movie. It's the rule. <laughs> so maybe that's why the sure. in the fourth one it was going to be a time travel movie with whales. <laughs> with whales, just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were going to go see George uh, Kirk, so maybe that was, they were going to be whales there. Uh, yeah, uh, I there were there were elements of it. There were actors I liked. I liked Zach Quinto as Spock. I liked yeah. Chris Pine as Kirk. I liked oh, yeah. um, uh, uh, Scotty. Um, Oh, uh, the famous actor. Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg, yes. Uh, Simon Pegg is awesome uh, in anything. And uh, I mean, I like those guys. Well, Ankar Plot. 
<laughs> I liked him as Uncut Blood. I thought it was funny. Oh. <laughs> he's he's much better in his own films. It like Shaun of yep. the Dead yes. and uh, oh, yes. Hot Hot Fuzz and things like that. Of course, of course. Uh, he's even good in the Mission Impossible movies. As as that's hard to believe, but uh, you know, it's because of the Mission Impossible movies, which were okay action films. I don't want to talk those down. But but it's um the actors were good. The stories weren't as good. I mean, I just, yes, I, they, yeah. they just weren't Star Trek, as you mentioned. Like, there were just too many problems with the stories. J.J. It, it, Abrams really, it was really clear to me from the beginning that J.J. Abrams wanted to direct Star Wars. And right. so mm. what he was giving us was Star Wars reskinned as Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, the Kelvin timeline is dead. Long live Star Trek, I suppose, is <laughs> the way to yeah. talk about that. So uh, now let's talk about Short Treks, which itself <laughs> has in its background some, some checkered stuff, some checkered stuff, some, some reasons that it exists beyond the creative impulse to give fans more Star Trek. Um, yeah. So, so uh, uh, go ahead, Jimmy. In, in brief, apparently, yeah. I mean, this is the claim. This is also coming from Midnight's Edge. Uh, but the claim is that um, for financial reasons, uh, CBS needed to make extra money and in connection with Star Trek. And the way they wanted to do that was by creating these short tracks, which were filmed using the same sets and some of the same mm -hmm. actors as Discovery. They What they did was they took a second unit. And um, during and production of the season, dur yeah. during production of the second season, they had a second unit that would like say, OK, we're not using this set on this day and this actress is available. So let's film Runaway with Vincent Tenney, Tilly. Yep. Yep. And uh, and so they worked around the season two schedule to make these. The idea was they were going to sell them to Netflix um, and, and other other international yeah. channels right for a lot of money and 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 because they have very high production values and so forth and so uh they tried to do that they wanted a uh, allegedly netflix to pay 40 million dollars for these things which would be <sighs> 10 million per episode and netflix was not interested and they they then kept lowering the price down to like 15 million total and which would be less than 4 million an episode netflix still was not interested Apparently, there's only one international buyer for any of these things. And so uh, rather than being this big publicity, financially successful build up to the launch of the new series, they're kind of there and they dropped a lot of cash on making these because they mm -hmm. have very high production value. Um, but they they didn't end up making the money for the network that was hoped. Although no. if they're announcing new animated ones, I mean, that suggests something maybe there's well, some they, degree of success part, in there. part of the part of the problem too is the, the, when then they did finally release them of course they released them here in the united states on cbs all access which makes it look like oh it's a cash grab to keep these star trek fans from not canceling their all access subscription right. and we get four more months of all access that they're only going to watch a 15 minute episode a month yeah you know and that's how it kind of came across right um, however but, if you do what i did which was just subscribe to the second season on amazon get these as part of the package oh that works yeah yeah that's that, that's it's the problem of the cbs all access model and the subscription model and which is right. a whole nother discussion we could have which some is other time, but. which is sad because i generally like the idea of this i like this idea of these short mm -hmm. you know monthly just snippets you know 15 20 minute long episodes that can continue stories that can tell other stories that don't have to be you know, an hour like long this. right 
you know, yeah. just very simple, self-contained. Every single one of these stories are very simple, self-contained stories. And they were a varying level. And I guess we're transitioning into talking about them now. Yeah. They were a varying levels of quality, but I didn't think mm-hmm. any of them were bad. Right. No. Right. So, I mean, just kind of look at two of them involve secondary cast. Tilly, Saru. They're not they're not primary characters. They're not, um, uh, you know, uh, well, Michael regular Burnham. crew members. Right. Right. They're regular crew members, but they're not uh, Michael Burnham or, you know, the lead characters. Uh, two of them involve guest cast. One being Rain Wilson, who is a recurring character. Um, mm, and, the other, uh, and the other um, was Aldous Hodge. Yeah. Who new guy ob- for obvious story reasons. And uh, so it's just kind of interesting. Two don't take place on Discovery at all. Uh, they they yep. they they don't have the Star Trek Discovery in it. So it's very interesting to see the variations here. So let's start with the first one. Runaway came out in October, October fourth. All of them are about fifteen minutes long. And so the the short story of this one is Tilly discovers a stowaway on board Discovery and discovers that they have surprisingly similar problems with their families. Mm-hmm. In a nutshell, that's really it. Yeah. Um, Tilly is obviously one of the more popular characters from the season, from the series, the Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm. People love Tilly, and uh, for good reason. I, I, I mean, I like Tilly. She's a she's a blast. She's a good humanizing character. Mm-hmm. She's she we like her insecurities, but her ambition, and she's mm-hmm. she has comic relief potential, and she also is a frankly a fan identification character. I was going to say yeah, she's I mean, a, she's how, a fan how, viewpoint how, character. How many of us have been like her at the beginning of the, this short trek where we're taking a pillow and screaming into it? You know, we've all we've all done that at some point in our life where we've just been so frustrated. We just need to scream. You well, know? And in fact, the, I love this moment where she's talking to her mom about being in the command training program, you know, via hologram. And her right. mom, by the way, is, she's an ensign now, not a cadet. So we've moved on from the events of season one. Right. And. Right. She's sitting there with the Starfleet Medal of Honor sitting on her desk in front of her. I don't know if you noticed that, but this, that she received no, at the I end didn't. of season one. <laughs> As her mother's telling her, well, maybe you shouldn't try so hard for something. You know, probably you're not going to succeed at it. I mean, her mom is like really talking. She won the Medal of Honor as a cadet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, this is just like the worst parent. Oh, but, but she failed when she was in elementary school <laughs> about climbing a wall or something like that, you know. But her sister is so much uh, more successful than she is. And what does that remind you of? Something that Tahani Al Jamil on the Good Place. Yeah, I was uh, just thinking the same thing. Well, it also reminds me of something that's even a little closer to home. If you've seen the, mm. have you seen the most recent episode of the Orville as we record this? Mm-mm. No. Uh, so the most recent episode of the or- Orville, um, Security Chief Alara, who is. Mm-hmm. Whose parents don't like her being in whatever their equivalent of Starfleet is. Um, her the sister union. is so much, yeah, the Union fleet. Her sister is so much more successful than she is. She should just come home and give up the career, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I, 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 I was looking at this going. This is a very interesting parallel. Um, hmm. So, uh, but uh, you know, people who've seen that will 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 understand what I'm saying. Um, there's some nice moments. So what we have is we have this. Um, we start off with. Uh, the a shift change, and in the shuttle bay, we the stowaway comes out of a crate who has the ability of and, invisibility, and it's set up as very mysterious and possibly threatening, and mm-hmm. sort of like some weird creature has gotten on board that can right. be invisible, but it gets cut and it has glowing orange blood. Yes, and now it, which was like the predator. I don't know if that was intentional or not. It might have been intentional uh, to kind of you know it, it, it trigger something in the back of our minds. But so we have Tilly in the uh, in the mess hall in the middle of the night, 
ordering a, I like this part. She orders a quadruple yeah. expre- espresso with milk alternative. And the computer says, that quantity of caffeine is not advised. It's my best friend. <laughs> she says, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> have a glorious day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In the future, sorry, the coffee maker will be, will be a, 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 a nanny on your, like a health nanny. I was, was going to say, you know, the, 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 the uh, Food uh, replicators on on Discovery are nags exactly. all throughout the season, and then this they nag about. Oh, enjoy your healthy bean burrito or whatever. Like, <laughs> are you sure you want to eat that too? You, I mean, you you put on a little weight. I've noticed. <laughs> Can you imagine yeah, exactly? <laughs> so I uh, like how how Tilly is using as she's about to drink the espresso. She's using these self improvement aspirations. <laughs> so like, I will remember to express to expect nothing. Espresso, I release you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was so good. That was good. So the the which, which are in fact used apparently in like management training courses and stuff like that. She probably has it in the command training uh, course. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so she she notices this creature. Um, she notices the blood. The creatures there, especially uh, after all the replicators go crazy, and start right. e- ejecting food all over the record. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. And they don't say it explicitly, but apparently this character, we find her name is Poe, just to make it easier, is Poe, um, has a, can affect technology by, well, by willing yeah, it. She's like an, an engineer and has some, and maybe that has something to do with her ability yeah. to uh, cloak herself is, yeah. is a technological. And they, they could have and really should have made this clearer. What I would have done is just make it clear that she was trying to she doesn't speak English, so she doesn't know how to talk to these things. And I would assume she was messing with them on the engineering level to try to get food to survive. Right. Okay. I thought she and was doing it to distract. To, crazy. to distract. Well, Tilly. also to distract. Oh, that could be Tilly, because yeah. Tilly was trying to figure out where the blood was coming from that dripped onto her uniform. Okay. So, in and so, uh, in case you haven't seen it, I would say that Poe, this, this she's a uh, alien, looks like a spiky pixie. Basically, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, she's a Shahian, Shahian, Zahian, Zahian. That's right. I remember he's from Zisa. the planet Zahia, yeah. which Tilly finds out has just achieved warp technology. So we're allowed to let them have knowledge of Federation. They're no longer under the Prime Directive. Um, and she's got. I like Poe has this super long name, right? Um, Nihani Ika Kali Kapo. <laughs> yeah is my and best chance of trying to pronounce it it almost looks hawaiian is the funny i was gonna part. say you, know, you yeah. see see hawaiian words that's kind of what it looks like i i like when science fiction gives us characters with because some not all languages are like english and you do have languages where people have really long names and which then tend to get shortened and i i like that i uh i like it when science fiction gives us names like harlololprillilar and right. things like that that then get shortened to prill and so forth mm-hmm. and uh yes and she it, just goes by pole right po, <laughs> right yeah, just the final po. syllable yeah which which is i i for me that kind of resonates because in tagalog which is the main mm. language they speak in the philippines po is an interjection you use to make a request polite oh. like please mm. in english and so i just i can't help but thinking with that little bit of tagalog background whenever i hear po interesting <laughs> Uh, so uh, apparently Zahians are bo- were born as a species, I guess is what you meant. Were born with their planet, um, according to Poe. But Tilly yeah. is naturally skeptical of that. How would they survive when their planet was still forming? So this yeah, may be right. their mythology, right? Correct. Um, 
uh, she reveals that they mined dilithium on their planet, which is, of course, uh, it, it, you know, any Star Trek fan knows. Tilly's eyes get about as big, wide yeah. as they can go when she hears that. Di- dilithium is the most important, you know, element in because it powers starships and in, in, in all you know power systems. In somehow, the, somehow, yes, we, we, waving hands for reasons. For, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, she then finds out that there's a galactic APB out on uh, Poe, which is the, the terms that she used, um, uh, because she built an incubator to recrystallize dilithium. Now, the why is this a big yeah. deal? They don't tell us. Oh, but we know if you're a longtime fan of the series, you know that this is a technology that won't be invented for like 100 years. Right. This yeah. is something they're co- still coming up with during the uh, time of the next generation. Right. Exactly. And in fact, that it's something that Jordy eventually comes up with, right? I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously, a, a, a you know a strategically important uh, technology. Person. Uh, yes, and person. Um, Poe continues to insist that the planet is her twin sister and that she invented this to help the planet. Um, Tilly I, I bonds with her by saying, oh, people you care about don't listen to you. That sounds familiar. And um, Poe says uh, this, this, so, this. Go ahead. So so it's I, I found it interesting from Tilly's viewpoint here. We're really being shown Tilly's maturation as a character. Because she's confronted with this dangerous situation that she then manages to get a handle on initially, you know, because Poe is being very threatening to her and she threatens her back and yes. puts her in, mm-hmm. in her place. And, and that's how they initially get a dialogue. Going. And then as she learns more about her, she realizes I've got this um, runaway here who's a galactic person of interest. Mm-hmm. There's an APB out and and. She is doing, even though she's keeping Poe's existence a secret from the crew while she mm-hmm. deals with this, she makes up a lame excuse that the rec room was trashed by a hormonal space <laughs> rabbit that got loose. <laughs> um, the uh, she's She is trying to get Poe to do the right thing and go back. Mm-hmm. And, and she's handling it in a way that I think when this event gets reviewed by the Starfleet Command training people, since it turns out Poe, spoiler, is the new Zahian queen. Right. Yep. Um, that uh, she's this would have been a really bad diplomatic incident if this had gone the wrong way. And I think that Star- the Starfleet training program people will look back on this and say, actually, Tilly, you handled this really well. Right. Right. Uh, yes. Uh, I-, I was a little skeptical, like a little suspension of disbelief here because like, of course, you you would have to report like if there's an alien yes. on board. But and I, I assume she did later, but right, yeah, yeah. And, and not not to mention, you know, apparently everybody can just walk in the transporter room and start punching in coordinates and go. That was another one of my suspensions of disbelief because that would alert <laughs> someone yeah. on the. And apparently, they were in orbit around Zahia because that right. would be, have to be close enough. Um, uh, there's a moment where they they have this 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 is the key moment in the story where she, uh, she says everybody Poe says everybody forgot evolution is about soul and not just killing our planet so we can have warp. And uh, and then Tilly says back, you're the evolution. Um, and then Poe realizes that no one can protect her planet like she can. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bit of an environmental message or something along those lines. Maybe. But uh, but, but I, I like how she entered into Poe's logic because Poe is yeah. like every, uh, you know, this every the future is so uncertain for my planet and evolution is is changing things. It's like, well, you're a part of that. That's why you need to go back mm-hmm. so you can protect your sister. Yes, exactly. Exactly. 
And so we end with uh, Tilly beaming uh, the new queen back to the planet after they, you know, she managed to make a promise to come back and visit as Captain Tilly. So we can imagine that some sometime in the future, Captain Tilly will return in some new episode of Star Trek, whatever, in the future. And and as a result of her being able to help Poe, Tilly now has more confidence in her ability to go forward yep. with the command training program. So she's progressed on her personal character arc as well. I hope that they include that in Discovery, that these what happens in these shorts have ongoing effects within the main storyline. So we'll see. So th- one, then, one, one little yeah. note on this one. I like yep. how uh, once they get the translator going between Tilly and Poe, one of the first things that Poe says when Tilly asked her name, my name is keep your human digits off me, please. My <laughs> name is also I could build a translator like that in my sleep. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and then Tilly says something back about uh, uh, reprogramming a replicator or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, well, I, I do love that. I do love that scene, though, where, where Poe growls at her until he just kind of looks at her. And, yeah. <laughs> she growls back. Yes. No one's <laughs> no one's undermining Tilly. Uh, so let's move on to the they, second. They don't call her Captain Killy for nothing. <laughs> yeah. A little exactly. bit of Captain Killy comes out there. Uh, so we move on to the second of the shorts, which was called Calypso. It was uh, released in November 8th. Um, this one is very interesting. Written by yeah. Michael Chabon, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning novelist who also won the Hugo mm. Awards and the Nebula Awards for his novels. I, I actually have read one of his books called Gentlemen of the Road, which is a, part of, mm. a pair of itinerant adventurers in the Caucasus Mountains around 950 AD, which was a pretty mm. good book. It was uh, I would have I would have liked if he'd made more books featuring those characters. That would be interesting. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to it. But uh so interesting that they've got this very high profile uh, writer for this episode. And, and to my mind, this was the best um, of, oh, really? of the episodes. It's the most sophisticated psychologically mm. and morally. Um, and and uh, it is kind of close. I think the the, re- the escape artist, which we'll talk about, was yeah. the most enjoyable. Maybe, yes. But I thought this was in terms of craft the best. I, I would um, agree. One thing that people may wonder about is why is it called Calypso? Because they don't mention that word in the mm-hmm. short. The reason is it's a mythological reference. I mean, you might think, well, we've got ships here. Is this a Jacques Cousteau oh. reference? And yep. it's not. It's a mythological reference. Calypso was a nymph who detained Odysseus, right. crafty Odysseus, on her island for like yeah. seven years. But his desire to get back to his wife, Penelope, eventually caused the gods to order Calypso to release him and to equip him for the journey. Calypso then gave Odysseus the preparations he'd need to continue with his odyssey. Right. And mm-hmm. as, as you alluded in the, in the Odyssey in the Odyssey, Odysseus is in, frequently crafty referred to as Odysseus. crafty crafty. And that's what the character's name is. So craft. Yeah. Craft. Uh, so or funny uh, face. Yeah, funny face. Yes. <laughs> to to recap a bit, so a human soldier wakes up aboard the Discovery centuries, a millennia, literally, uh, after the ship has been abandoned for some reason, and develops a close relationship with the computer, the ship's computer, uh, which has become a self-aware AI, uh, and it has Zora, Zora that has saved yep. him. So it starts with a man in an escape pod watching Betty Boop cartoons, which is very interesting. Betty Boop cartoons are out of copyright, so therefore CBS did not have to pay anyone. Exactly. To show that. Mm -hmm. Um, And he wakes up disoriented in sickbay all alone. It's dark. Um, 
and it's a very disorienting opening and it's very it's I thought it was effectively scary. And then we realized yeah. the computer is watching him and not talking to him and doing things. And and it starts out with a kind of horror vibe. Yes. Kind mm-hmm. of kind of like alien. And then uh, the computer starts building a relationship with him, gives him clothes, which initially don't fit and it makes him new ones. It's like, why didn't you just measure him and give him the right ones the first time? Right. Um, but it, the ship is initially presented as this weird environment and he has to build trust with the AI. Right. Right. She, and like you said, she says her, she introduces herself as Zora. She's grown a personality over the centuries. He first says his name is Quarrel, which is interesting. And then, uh, then she, she knows, tells him he's a liar. Right. Um, <laughs> she's repaired his injuries, except for one scar that he has on his leg, which wasn't from the most recent battle that he'd been in um he'd been in the hunting scar hunting scar he'd been in the escape pod for a month um she asked his name and he says my people don't give out our true names um but people call him craft that's how we get his name um and then zora reveals that it's been a thousand years that she's been abandoned um Mm -hmm. which is an interesting idea that they've they've now presented to us which is that discovery at some point in the future probably not the too distant future is going is to be abandoned. A, be abandoned right. by its crew in some some location and not be recovered. Um, and she's and and Zora's instructions are that she's to maintain position until the crew returns, and it's been right. a thousand years. Right. She's a well, computer it's, it's being interesting too. I like the name uh, Zora because, you know, of course, you, you know Jimmy language much more than I do. But you know how language drifts mm-hmm. and go from discovery to Zora. Mm-hmm. You know that, it, that it, connection. That, it it could it indeed it could be connected to that. Um, we also have um, so this the fact that there that apparently discovery is going to be abandoned at some point is kind of reminiscent of like what they did in Babylon Five, where we had early on the vision Babylon will fall, and then we mm-hmm. eventually got to see the context of that and what that meant in terms. We saw the station exploding, but we didn't know the context of why. And eventually we got to see it and it was very different than what we might have expected. And I'm hoping that they do something like that. I'm hoping eventually we get to see the abandonment of of Discovery, you know, maybe in a few seasons, assuming the show goes that long. And right. it also some people have pointed out this may play into the ultimate explanation for why some of the things they've been doing on Discovery don't um don't match clash up. with the timeline because right. they've got this amazing spore drive. And at some point they're going to have to lose that. There's going to have to be a reason why and they can't install that on every single Starfleet ship. I mean, it could be as simple as just a decision that this is a failed experiment and we should get rid of it, yeah. but we can't yeah. just destroy the ship or something like that, you right. know, or they lose the ship or something, or it's yeah. a, it's a, a mirror copy of the ship created by et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And I wondered if, if this might be a mirror ship because we don't know. All we know is that um, uh, craft is from the planet Alcor 4. Yep. Where Which is far away. Pre- yeah. there And there has not previously been a human colony there as far as Zora knows. But she says her records are obviously out of date. And uh, he's been fighting a war for like 10 years. Yeah. Um, right. with a group called the Vidraish, and we don't know anything about them. And he does not, uh, Kraft does not know who won the war or if the war is over. 
which is kind of nice to not have this context to understand things. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's it's neat to just have these references and wonder about them. It the the the, the uh, we get this flashback that he or his, this memory of his. Um, in fact, mm-hmm. I think he has a, something he looks at, which shows his his wife and his son from when, when he left. And his son was uh, under one years old at the time. And it says 11. That's where we get the 10 years. Um, there yeah. is one warp capable shuttlecraft on board. But after a thousand years, they're not sure whether it'll actually work. So yeah. So Zora discourages him from trying, which apparently it turns out that maybe she wasn't. It wasn't just that she did, it didn't work. Maybe she didn't want him to leave. She was lonely. Right. Well, there, yeah. there's the line about, oh, I, I let you. Zora says, you know, it was nice to have the quiet. And he just looks at her and says, liar. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh, they, there's that, that bit there. There's a montage that they have to show I the passage of say, time, um, yeah. which which has a, a one funny moment where she uh, she gives he sits down with a sombrero on a tray of food and it's tacos underneath. And she tells him it's Taco Tuesday. And explains what a taco mm-hmm. is. He goes, uh-huh. What's Tuesday? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, one of the things I really like about this montage, it's very, it's visually distinctive in that we see multiple copies of craft moving about the rec room and doing right. various things and right. sitting down, like playing chess and stuff like that. And, um, and, and I like how we have that visual overlap. And we get this. And I think I thought it was a very unusual and effective way of of doing a montage instead of just cutting from one moment to the next. Mm-hmm. We see the moments visually overlapping. Right. And uh, so as a as a means of passing the time, uh, they they watch old movies. Uh, Zora is apparently a fan of 20th century movies because everybody in the 24th century Everyone is. is a fan of 20th oh, yeah. century pop culture. And so uh, uh, Zora's favorite movie is the 1957 uh, film Funny Face starring Fred Astaire and Audrey Hepburn. And so they so they sit on the bridge and watch it as a hologram, which looks actually kind of fun. Um, mm-hmm. Kraft learns to decides to learn how to dance like Fred Astaire in order to do something nice for Zora since she's done nice things for him. And then he he dances and there's a with, nice, there's yeah. a good moment there because he says, uh, and he's clearly warming up to her, and he says to her after she's done all these nice things for him, and he does one, she does one really nice thing for him where he's like talking about his fantasy of what he would be doing if he were home, and she recreates the audio environment <laughs> of that so it'll be more real for him. Mm. And he's touched by that, and he says, has anyone ever done done anything nice for you? And being an AI, she says, it never came up. Right. And so yeah. he decides to do something nice for her. He makes a Fred Astaire costume like the one he's wearing in Funny Face. He teaches himself that dance. And now he's going to do it with her. Right. He dances with the holographic representation of Zora's own self-image that she would have. Yeah. Um, and he makes her create a unique self-image so she's not just Audrey Hepburn. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I want you. Yeah. And and then in the in the end of it, there's this moment where he's he's it's like he's going to kiss the A.I., uh, you know, the hologram. And he he suddenly flashes to his wife in you know, in his memory and feels guilty like he's cheating on his wife. So mm-hmm. I want to put it to both of you. Is he cheating on his wife? If he were to kiss the hologram. <laughs> What's that? You want to go first, Father, or you want me to? Um, 
Boy, I, I got some I'm kind of chewing on it right now. I'm kind of I'm, 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 I'm chewing. It's on an it. interesting moral question. I'll put it. I'll put it another way. My wife would probably think it was cheating. Well, I think yeah, it's. Well, it's it, I think it's creating an emotional, romantic, or emotional attachment to someone right who is not your your spouse. I, I think it could very much become that. Would the actual kiss be? cheating again I, I think that's more subjective but i mean it yeah. could actually become a, a, a affair you know even with this holographic ai right recreation it, it, so yeah the way i the way i took the kiss is he realized it's not just he feels like he's cheating he's starting to fall in love with zora right and so he's got a strong emotional attachment to zora already and he realizes i've got to pull back now and and so he breaks off. He doesn't kiss her. And um, and she immediately realizes what's happened. And she, you can hear her voice quaking. So this is yeah. affecting her emotionally, too. And she says she reassures him that she's not really a person. It's not wrong. As, and and he looks at her and says, liar. Yeah. As, and, as the and, holographic girl has the tear running down her cheek and 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 as when he says liar i was like yes because he's absolutely right now it's not cheating in the sense of she's an actual person so she's right about that but this is the this would be the equivalent of using a sex robot Mm. um or you know however you want to put it i mean falling in love with an ai is you're right, Dom. This is not your wife. This is not the person. This is not a person, and you shouldn't be emotionally bonding with it. It's an analog for using pornography or using a sex mm-hmm. doll or something like that. And he's absolutely right. The fact she's not a person is immaterial. He should not be doing this. And right. so I thought this was a complex, uh, psychologically realistic portrait of someone confronting this situation and doing the right thing. Right. Uh, and it, an example of when you have a really good writer <laughs> writing yeah, this yeah. stuff, it, it, it makes it complex. Um, so uh, Zora decides, uh, you know, th- that, or maybe together, we don't really get an, um, a moment where we have a, um, a, a clear indication of how the decision gets made, but Kraft is going to take the warp shuttle, even though they're not sure whether they'll, he'll make it. Um, and as Zora, the way it's presented, Zora sends him on his way. It's yes. like now that she's not going to have him. I mean, the cynical reading is now that she's not going to have him. She sends him on his way. The charitable reading is now that she realizes how much his family means to him. She wants him to take the risk and, and try to get back to them. Right. She has her realization of what of her own motives even might be uh, part of that, too. Um, as he's aborting the, the shuttle, she says, craft on your world. If we were lovers, would you tell me your name? your true name. And he replies, if we were lovers on my world, you would give me my true name. And then she says, Oh, well, then I already did. And as the doors of the shuttle close, you see on the door, funny face, which is, which is nice. But if I was him, I would say, what was it? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, and that, and then he flies off into the, well, not sunset, but into, into the space on his way home. And we can presume he he made his way home. And we then see, and I hope he comes back because he's a good character. Um, we then see Zora playing the hologram of him at, as in the Fred Astaire role, dancing with her self-image. Mm. And so now she has this memory of him to comfort her and her new right. aloneness. Right. It's a poignant 
ending. It's certainly yeah. One one thing people may wonder about is this: we don't tell each, we don't reveal our true names thing, and mm. um, there actually that ha- exists in some human cultures. Mm-hmm. In it existed, for example, in ancient Egypt. Um, in ancient Egypt, your mom gave you your true name, and you didn't tell other people about it. You were known by another name. So, and the reason your true name was concealed was because if someone knew your true name, they could use it in magic to manipulate you. Mm. And so you kept your true name private so people couldn't, uh, couldn't manipulate you magically. And if I recall correctly, it was Isis was the goddess who was famed for knowing everyone's name. Right. Mm. Uh, there are other, um, human cultures, real cultures that, that also do this, uh, two names, one private, one public, uh, as well. I, I, I don't want to say any, because I don't want to get it wrong, but I have heard this in other contexts as well. Yep. So let's move on then to, to the next so, one. Oh, do you have something couple, to say? A couple of quick little notes. I just okay. thought it was an effective transition from a horror story into a man AI love story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also liked the fact we got to see Betty Boop and, uh, funny face, <laughs> because we don't get to see mashups like that very often in Star Trek with real world culture. Right. Um, the only time I mean, we occasionally hear about like members of the Rat Pack or, or Jacqueline Suzanne in the in Star Trek four. We hear about things, but we don't get to see them. Right. The only time I can remember that we saw imagery from a real world uh, uh, media from real world media was in uh it's only a paper moon in deep space nine where we got to see footage from the searchers. Right. And so we don't get to see that often. Um, there was one, it actually in the original series, there was one moment where they were going to do it and it would have been glorious. Uh, it was in a return to tomorrow with where the enterprise goes back to the past and is in orbit around the ship around earth. And Uhura starts picking up transmissions and she was going to put one on the viewer screen, and it was going to be the opening credits to Bonanza. <laughs> oh, that would been cool. Which was on the air at the same time as Star Trek, but they couldn't get the rights to do it, and so we never got to see that. <laughs> that would be fun. That would be fun. Yeah, they often, like, they'll create, if, if they do anything, they create, like, their own versions uh, of of real, of the real world stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, so uh, uh, like you said, Jimmy, this is, was, this was, um, Probably the the most complex story, the most uh, uh, yeah. deepest sophisticated. story. Sophisticated is what I'm trying to say. Yes, thank you. So um, do we w- want to move on to the next one? Uh, yeah. The Brightest Star. This one was in December. It was released uh, beginning of December. So on the planet Kaminar, the young Kelpian Saru is living a simple and restricted life with his family, but is eager to explore the universe. His ingenuity and his desire to learn more lead him to a future he never expected. So this is young Saru. Um, it takes mm-hmm. place about a decade before the, there's a flashback in battle at the binary stars and there's a, uh, th- so this would be about a decade before that flashback is according to the writers. Um, it seems to be about 20 years before dis- the events of discovery. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. the Kelpians apparently harvest kelp. I'm I know sure. <laughs> it's visual joke. They don't make shot. anything out of it, but they're harvesting kelp. Yeah, they are yeah. apparently not just pre-warp or pre-space capable. They're pre-industrial. Looks like um, yeah, it's this cool. one is is narrated by Saru, where he's mm-hmm. is sort of re- recounting how he be- you know entered Starfleet, um, and so the Kelpians 
are we know the Indians from the beginning. They're they're sort of a prey species. He tells us that in the first season of Discovery. Yeah, and what he says is that Earth has um, food chains, and his species, his planet doesn't. It has vertical relationships where you have a predator species and a prey species. But that doesn't mean you don't have food chains. And in fact, we see evidence here of food chains yep. because the Kelpians eat kelp. Right. And and I mean, they, you clearly have a hierarchy of of, uh, of of things. Apparently, the Ba'ul are a technological race that have been harvesting the Kelpians, which may <laughs> shed light on the um, on the fact they're used as food in the mirror universe. Right. Mm. Um, but uh, but the claim that 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 you don't have food chains and that you just have this solo predator prey thing. This makes no sense evolutionarily to have a whole planet work like that. Right. You might have, you might have like individual couples like koalas can only eat eucalyptus. Right. But it's not going to mean everything on the planet is like this. Well, the interesting thing here is, so you mentioned the Ba'ul, so that they're apparently being harvested by aliens. That's what it it looks like to me. They're they're these technologically Mm -hmm. advanced aliens who are harvesting Kelpians as food, uh, who Kelpians are obviously sentient beings. Uh, Is it moral? And they're okay with this. Right. Is it moral for the Federation not to intervene? Moral or not, Prime Directive is going to stop it because this is is the pre-warp civilization. But does the Prime Directive apply when a pre-warp civilization is being exploited by a warp-capable civilization? Or space capable anyway? Apparently not yeah. in this situation. But certainly, I, I know yeah. it does raise yeah. questions. If I was a lawyer, I'd say, well, we can manipulate the Baul even if we have to leave the Kelpians alone. And, and, and then you know, the, they, they don't address that whether or not there's yeah. other things going on there where maybe the Federation is working, trying to work with yeah. the warp species, the the Baul instead. In, in fact, that would actually support something if they had brought it out, which they didn't. Uh, if they had brought it out, it could support the fact that a piece of Starfleet technology falls off of the Ba'ul ship. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why did this Ba'ul ship have Starfleet no, technology? They on? never said it was Starfleet technology. And actually, they did say, actually, it was stolen Ba'ul technology. Stolen Ba'ul technology. Giorgio says. Yeah. Oh, and then he reprogrammed it to contact well, Starfleet. That is even so, more. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, let's let's talk about that, because that's this is this is my big problem with this one. Um so Saru constructing a subspace transmitter from random pieces of technology that fall off the alien ship would be like an African Bushman building an iPhone from random pieces that fall off of passing airplanes, uh, which is a plot for the gods must be crazy. Oh, for. the gods must be crazy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> check that. Check out the old movie. Gods must be crazy, folks, on, uh, on Netflix or somewhere. Um like how would he even know what a radio is or what you could that you could use it to speak to someone far away i mean th- this is a very primitive people it just it it there is suspension of disbelief and then there's a just beggar's belief that to, that this would yeah. be, be possible it, it, i think this was a fatal blow to this this story frankly yeah i i, I it's so if that's what was meant uh, it's even worse than I thought because I thought it's a Starfleet communicator. He just figured out how to turn it on. No, no, no yeah, that wasn't it. Yeah, apparently he was collecting this technology and and figuring it out, and that was what See, led him. Con- the only okay. thing I, only thing I could think of that would save it if they'd shown some point where one of the Bayul was there on the planet, and he saw the 
communicator and was able to get a hold of it or something. Yes. You know, something along that lines where he had something that he could look at and and then, you know, oh, here's a working one. Okay, now I can figure out how this works. No. Versus, oh, yeah. let's just take space junk and put it into <laughs> and send up a signal and see what happens. Right. From a dramatic perspective, I like that we don't see the Ba'ul at all in this episode, that they're a, a faceless, mm-hmm. you know, off-screen yeah. presence. That's sort of, that's a good drama. But you're right, Father Gray. Like if like if you're going to have him have a communicator, he's got to know what it is and how it works to some degree. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't it just doesn't work that way. Um, just just to go back to the evolutionary bit of this also for a moment, because it also does not work for another reason on the scientific level, which is that we've been told by him that his prey species is so attuned to their circumstances, they sense the approach of death. Right. And the and that kind of makes some evolutionary sense. Obviously, if you're a prey mm-hmm. species, you want to know is 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 death about to make an appearance. Right. Um, but the point evolutionarily would be you want to know so you can avoid it. Right. By running right. away. And instead, his people passively walk towards death and accept right. their fate as food animals, which doesn't well, make evolutionary sense if you're so attuned that you can sense its approach. This was the part I hated about this story is it fell into right away. The religion keeps people ignorant trap. Yeah. Yeah. This is the, this is, and this is the thing that really kept it from, I mean, in addition to its other flaws, this was the big one for me Mm -hmm. that even though they treat it more respectfully than I've seen it treated in other places. I mean, Saru doesn't say religion is bad or anything like that. He doesn't get angry. He's still very accepting, but he asks questions like, you know, the, apparently his species religiously believes in something called the Great Balance of Kaminar, which is right. the planet, and that they have to sacrifice themselves to the Ba'ul to maintain this balance. And he asks questions which his father, who is a priest, doesn't want to answer. And he, in the narration, says, well, why did, why did balance mean we couldn't ask questions? And right. I, I understand that sentiment. That's fine. Um, I, my life is built on asking questions, including about religion. So I think it's a totally fair insight. Religion doesn't mean you don't think uh, or you don't wonder. You don't ask questions. I have a whole podcast about that. <laughs> um, but um, what I don't like is even though it's mild by comparison to other places, we still have anti-religious stereotyping going on here, particularly in the person of Saru's father who just tells him to shut up and accept the situation. He says it nicely, but he tells him to shut up and accept the situation. And so even though the religious people in this aren't evil, they're still benighted. They're still mm, yeah. self, willfully self-ignorant. They're not evil. They're stupid. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. the well, other. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I hated that because they pulled out the old, if God wanted us to fly, he'd give us wings. Right. Which, yeah. His father says basically that. Yes. Almost exactly. Except he says great balance instead of God. Great. Yeah, and, uh, it's the same argument. There was actually kind of a funny bit where where like the father says, you know, says his bit about the great balance. And Sru says, I understand. And then the narrator Sru says, I did not understand, which I thought was actually yeah. a, a funny, a funny moment in that one. Um so he gets a message back on the communicator. It says, hello in English. Uh, I'm not sure. I guess he didn't understand it, but um, and then it said today uh, in English. Um, uh, maybe he did understand it because he because he goes to meet the, the shuttlecraft. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which is carrying Lieutenant Giorgio, who is serving aboard the Shenzhou uh, 
apparently in Star Trek at this time, Starfleet, you serve your entire career on one ship, uh, I guess. Um, That happens surprisingly frequently. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And surprisingly frequently, they they just grab people and make them Starfleet officers. And that's that. They don't go to the Academy or or whatever, uh, because this was what happened to uh, uh, Michael Burnham. But anyway, Georgia shows up. She shows that the Federation does know about the Ba'ul. That that goes back to my other point. Um, And she says it took a lot of convincing of her superiors to let her come. uh, And then uh, she takes him away to to be. And then she tells him, you can't come back. Right. And he's he's willing to accept that. And this actually makes sense in terms of start. This is the most sensible thing in the whole episode, given what's been established about Starfleet. They have the prime directive, which applies to pre-warp civilizations. He has now figured out how to communicate off world. That's a danger. So you can make an argument under the prime directive. We can extract this guy. But once we expose him to what's happening in the Federation, can't take that knowledge back. So this actually makes sense in terms of Federation. Right. One of the things about this story is that it's it's sort of a small story. Like they they could have had this this great drama about the Baul that it starts calling him. And so he runs from it and barely makes it on board the shuttle before it takes him away or all this other drama. They didn't do that. If this maybe if this were a full Mm -hmm. episode, they would have. Um, It's but it's just sort of a small story about him leaving home and going off to the Starfleet into the, you know, to the. The, the sky as he wanted to go to before. Um, so, but it, but it has these flaws and uh, to me, it makes it the weakest of the four. Uh, yeah. So. Agree. Yep. So uh, let's move on to the, the fourth one, the, the final one so far, uh, the, the escape artist, um, which was just released on January 3rd, um, featuring con artist and thief, Harry Mudd in who uh, is in, chains and at the mercy of a bounty hunter tries every and, trick at his disposal to keep from being turned over to the authorities. And Harry Mudd is such a thief that he even steals the show <laughs> in the sense that as we're watching the Star Trek Discovery Short Treks credits, yes, he pirates the credits and it becomes a different program called The Escape Artist. <laughs> right. Which he is the star of. Right. And it's, and it switches to like this disco theme uh, instead of the regular uh, theme. It was, it was great. Well, and it was so it stars Rain Wilson, who has just been great as Harry Mudd. Uh, oh, yeah. But is also directed by Rain Wilson, uh, which is very mm. interesting. Yep. Uh, so there are there are, as we find out, you know, spoiler to the end, there there are Harry Mudd robots or androids uh, involved here, uh, which reminds us of the classic. The original I series mud. episode, I Mud. Um, so we we have that. So keep that in mind as as we as we discuss it. So it starts with Mud. He's being purchased uh, by a Tellarite bounty hunter who's buying him from a female bounty hunter, and the Tellarite wants the the Federation bounty on Mud and is mad. Also, his bonus that Mud stole his ceremonial cudgel. And seduced the sister. I love that Mud doesn't know what a cudgel is. Like he's just kind of yeah. uh, ignorant of uh, of what a because cu- it's an unfamiliar word in contemporary twenty first century English. Yes, yep. uh, I read lots of you know sword and you know sword and magic sandal. Yeah, mm-hmm. sword and sandal, sword and magic books, uh, novels. So I know what a cudgel is and played D anD D as a kid. So uh, there you go. he thinks it may be a kitchen implement. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, the 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 Tellarite is called Tevrin Crit. I do like the uh, the Discovery era imagining of what Tellarites look like. It's it's um mm-hmm. so they they, mm-hmm. they still uh, have the bovine uh, look to them. They have the tusks. Porcine. 
Horseside, bovine right. is cows. Right, right, right. I was getting mixed up. Sorry, in my head, I was trying to make make sure I got it correct, and I got it wrong anyway. Um, but yeah, the the they still has a little piggy look with the uh, the tusks uh, and all that, but it's it's distinctive. Um, and so now during his confinement here with Tevrin Crit, we think we're led to believe that Mud is remembering other occasions in which he was imprisoned by other people. But is he remembering or are we seeing contemporaneous events with other androids? He's he's remembering uh, and it's a little ambiguous at times, but he's he's I mean, in hindsight, once you know the twist, the question could arise. Yes. But actually, he's not only apparently remembering them, but is recounting at least some of what we see to Tevrin Crit. Because at one point he compliments Crit on being a captor who's better than the one we just saw in a flashback. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I mean, it's it's not inconceivable that as much of a con artist as he is, that he's had many many brushes <laughs> with being arrested yeah. and chained up and, and right. all that. So and and so part of so the essence of what most of the episode is <clears throat> is he's been given to Tevrin Crit, who's going to take him and turn him into the authorities. And uh, he's trying to talk his way out of that. Right. And Mm -hmm. as he talks his way out of it, we see these flashbacks to other situations where he's also been in captivity, where he was also trying to talk his way out of them. And we get to see how he's spun his story different ways on different occasions. Right. So I love. Go ahead. I was going to say, I love the one one time where he's. uh, Talking about, oh, I'm part of the rebellion. It's a secret rebellion against the Federation. No one knows about it. And Tavern Crit just laughs and goes, has that line ever worked? <laughs> yes. And and the way the actor playing Tavern Crit delivers it, he looks like he believes for just a moment. And then he says, has that line ever worked on anyone? <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was good. Yeah, there's another uh, moment earlier on where uh, where he's trying to, Mud is trying to convince him that there's a mistaken identity. He says, uh, we must all look alike to you. Which is yeah. turns out to have a very different meaning in the end. Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, oh yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. I just assumed it's the standard. You know, um, it's a it's a nice pl- inversion of the standard kind of all the aliens racist look alike. imperialist thing. Yeah. yeah, which is ultimately yeah. based on like you know all Chinese people look the same from a certain perspective or something. Right. Exactly. And to have to have it being played by a white actor is we must all look the same to you. <laughs> you know, all right. us humans. Yeah. 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 Um, there is a there's another moment where uh, Tevin Crit is reading off the crimes he's accused of, and including regicide. He says regicide. He was a duke. Hardly regicide. What are we attempting to murder now? Accuracy. Yeah. I just love that pedantic <laughs> little there bit. Was, there was the reference to the Discovery episode where he comes yeah. in on the space whale and he penetrated a space whale. Penetrating <laughs> a had space to be whale? You had to be there. <laughs> uh, then, he, then he says, it's all scuttlebutt in hogwash, which is a great Tellerite joke. It's hogwash. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, and so as you can tell by listening to us talking about it, one of the pleasures of this is is the dialogue. Yes, very yeah. snappy. The the comedic dialogue and the the great lines that Mud and the others in it get and to deliver. I like when he's being drug around by this uh, short female bounty hunter at one point, <laughs> and he's saying to her, "You know, you're surprisingly strong for someone of your stature." She says, "I am of normal height. It's not my problem that you are freakishly weak." <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so we we get these nice moments, these juxtapositions of the. Uh, uh, 
you know, he tells lies to everyone. The one person he says, I'm poor. The next one, I'm rich. I'm weak. I'm powerful. Yep. You know, it's, it's so you get all the full Harry Mudd here. Um, you, you, he's, so he's got the, uh, the short bounty hunter. He's at one point, a very short episode with a, with a Klingon, um, Tevin Crit. Uh, he ends up with, uh, some Orions. And, uh, and then in the end, uh, Crit takes him to the starship DeMilo. So not, not Discovery. Um, where the guy sees mud and goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like the the, the uh, Starfleet officer is like, oh, you brought come some. With me. Yeah, come with me. And they take him to the storage closet where they're keeping all the mud androids <laughs> that uh, yep. Bounty Hunters are bring in. Apparently, he's like the seventh one this week. Who 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 want to be out sip, sipping jippers on a beach. <laughs> sipping yeah. j- I should be sipping jippers on a beach. Uh, one of the muds in the storage closet, if you look closely, is wearing a blue coat with epaulets, which is yep. very similar to the coat that Mud, the original Harry Mud was wearing in the original series episode I Mud. So if you go back and take a look at that, so this this little of that, and so so it turns. I, I like how to prove that these are androids and not clones. Like Tevin Crit dislodges his <laughs> Mud's arm, and you see the electronics underneath. Right, right, which causes uh, his Mud to start malfunctioning, and they all start doing the 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 line chippers on a beach, chippers on a beach which I want to know what a jipper is, which then we it's, co- it's a, it's a cocktail. I want to come up with at some point. <laughs> Somebody no. has got to come up with that. So, so this is our first twist. Yes. Ending, but there's another twist ending just around the corner. Right. Yep. So we cut to mud ship, which is full of r- robot mud servants doing various work. And the female quote unquote bounty hunter who turns out to be, Harry Mudd in disguise. Mudd. Uh, he's selling his own androids to make money. Right. He's, and he's, he's sipping jippers. Sipping jippers. Yeah. Uh, and at the end, he gets a call from an, another potential uh, Harry Mudd bounty buyer and offers to sell the cudgel along with him. Um, yeah. And then we get the ending to some nice, instead of, the, again, the usual Star Trek theme, we get some nice jazzy, lazy jazz music uh, to, to end it off. Um, so, so lots of fun. So, Lots of fun. One of the things I liked about it is because since it's called the escape artist and we're watching Harry Mudd's efforts to escape through the whole thing, um, you know, there's going to be a twist at the end where he does escape somehow. And and in, and the the payoff we finally get to that is great because you're not expecting he's an android and so the way he escapes is by not being in this situation to begin exactly. with right and and so that's a creative twist that you wouldn't expect and then to give us beyond that he's the one who's actually selling all of these androids is another twist you don't well, expect and so and, you get you get this double whammy there at the yeah. end that I thought well, was very good well, I love the gullibility of the people who are buying, too, because he's selling them the Android for half of what the Federation bounty is. You yeah. think they would stop and say, you know, why does he just go and or she just go and sell it directly right. to the Federation and get the full bounty instead? Well, a bounty this hunter is- may know that, the, you know, the, this other bounty hunter has their own criminal, you know, charges out or warrant out for their arrest from the Federation. They can't take him. So maybe mm. that's like, I can see that they they should have brought that up. Because that was one of my questions, too. Why are these bounty hunters just buying Harry Mudd from other bounty hunters? I mean, I could see if you're if you're a bounty hunter, you're trying to find Harry Mudd. You might hire an agent 
Mm-hmm. But then you're the initiator of that action. It's not like someone comes to you and says, I've got Harry Mudd. You want him? Yeah. But it's, um, but of course, the, the fact that it's Harry Mudd doing it, he knows all the people that have a grudge against him. So he knows <laughs> that they're going to be a little more blinded when they hear that name. So that he can cheat so them again. <laughs> yes, he can cheat him again. So what? So one of the things that fans have asked is, OK, it, given that we know that there are Harry Mudd androids out there. Has in the first season, were any of those the real mud? Like, because he escapes from the Klingons and other things like that. So was he able to do that? Um, Rain Wilson uh, has actually said publicly that he thinks, and of course, the producers have the final say on this, but he thinks we've been seeing the real Harry Mud throughout the first season. So this is just Mm -hmm. self-contained to this short. So that's something to keep in mind. So a couple of couple of little things that I liked about this, um, the it's fun. Part of the fun with this is because Harry is a lovable scoundrel. And mm-hmm. part of the fun is getting to see the scoundrel get his just desserts over and over again. Right. With all these flashbacks. <laughs> yes. Um, so also, I like, of course, we have the Federation. He says uh, that he's at one point dirt poor because of the Federation tax man has taken <laughs> yeah. all of everything he's ever earned. So, okay, thank you, money in the 23rd century. Also, ten <laughs> exactly. 100,000 credits of latinum. Thank you, money is real. You're not getting rid of it. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I like in the sequence where he's talking to the Orion uh, captor, and he's like hung from the ceiling, and he's trying to talk his way out of it, and he's got this Orion guy there mm-hmm. who's handsome but not bright. Yes. And so he's he's telling him, you know, I'm rich and I'll share if you let me out of here, I'll, sh- I'll share my money with you. And then you'll be rich and you'll be able to wear a cape because <laughs> rich people can do whatever they want. And the guy is thinking, I would look good. in a cape. And, and he's like, you would look amazing in a cape. And so apparently capes are like and the ability to wear one is kind of a thing in Orion culture. Like in ancient Rome, you could only wear certain shades of purple if you had achieved right. a certain social status. Um. And so he's playing on that. And then a woman, Orion, comes in and says, idiot, we've got a camera in here. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the, the male, Orion, recovers by saying, I nearly had him tricked into thinking he wanted to. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here, you idiot. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Um, so, okay, anything else on the uh, the short tracks? Because we get, we get a little um, uh, feedback from folks that we'd like, oh, to, like to share. Uh, so, um, listener feedback um, on our episode on Caretaker. We got an email from Jack Barazzini. He says, uh, Tom Paris was originally written as Le- Nick Lacarno, which we talked about, which is why they brought Robert McNeil back. But they ended up changing his name and, and his character slightly to avoid having to pay royalties for the writer of First mm. Duty for every episode of Voyager that he'd appear in, which is virtually all yeah. of them. So that was, that was why that change came in. Um, uh, on, Unfortunate. It harms the art. Yes, it yep. does. Uh, on the, uh, the, our episode talking about the Enterprise's Broken Bow, uh, Ramy Leroy says, a great episode. I wanted you to talk about Trip more because he was my favorite. Well, there will mm-hmm. be lots more Trip coming up in future episodes. Also, uh, she does remind us they did do an episode about Hoshi and the transporter. So we we uh, we were talking mm-hmm. about Hoshi's uh, fear uh, there. Uh, Robert Cormanche says, uh, 
I completely agree that they should have made the NX01 even more primitive than they did. <laughs> well, I'd love to hear what you think about Discovery then, Robert, because yeah. they've they've still gone that, that way. Um, and then on our episode on the Vulcan Hello, which was the first uh, premiere of Discovery, Kevin Greenlee says, uh, I think the complaint about the helmet camera is reasonable. Um, our complaint about <clears throat> why didn't they look at the helmet cam footage? But I think they were trying to head off fandom complaints of why didn't she record it? by establishing that it had been recorded, but then had been damaged. Um, mm-hmm. Then he says, uh, regarding the Kelpians, this goes back to our discussion earlier in this episode, Jimmy's right that intelligence tends to evolve in predator species, but presumably it could evolve in prey. High intelligence could be very useful as a defense against predators. It was for humans, after all, we're not a purely prey species, but we were able to survive our uh, much more physically deadly species who might have preyed on us. Fair enough. There are Fair intelligent enough. prey species, I suppose. Well, I don't. I mean, not there as are in science fiction, like the puppeteers, right? Uh, generally, and and it's you're right. It it is an interesting evolutionary possibility of having uh, a prey species evolve um, intelligence. I don't know that that happened in the case of humans, though, uh, because there aren't. Even though, yeah, our 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 intelligence is what uh, enables us to be. Uh, high up on the food chain, it's not like we're the natural enemies of tigers or something like mm, that. Right. Um, they didn't prey on our ancestors who lived in the trees. I think we got our intelligence by dealing with each other um, and uh, and the things that we ate. Um, mostly, when you have a a, a, a a prey species, their usual defense is either developing a physical capability like horns or armor or poison. Mm or um, dealing with it in terms of numbers. So there's so many of you and you're a pack animal that the odds of you particularly getting eaten are low. But it is possible that intelligence could develop in a prey species. Okay. All right. So uh, as we close out the show, I first want to take a moment to thank uh, our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Trek. Uh, yes. And uh, especially as we're beginning a new season of Star Trek Discovery, we're going to have great episodes discussing each of the each of the new episodes of Star Trek Discovery going forward. But today we want to especially thank by name uh, Jonathan B., Deborah F., Julie M., and Tony S. Uh, through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give. They make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at sqpn.com. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of Star Trek Discovery's Short Treks? Apparently the, the first uh, set of Short Treks we'll get. Uh, let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash trek or the SQPN Facebook page where you can leave comments there or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. You can find links uh, relevant to our discussion on our show notes at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the first episode of Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. I'm always glad to be here, and thank you, Dom. Uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, your enemies will be positively green with envy. Well, greener, so to speak. <laughs>